Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 2-2-2022. I don't know how often it gets to be like that. But anyway, again, this is Word is Truth, and we are uh, ready to begin our worship service. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. Uh, thank you for gathering us as we come to hear your word, to focus our attention on your thoughts. Thank you for life, health, and strength, and the fact that we are able to be here uh, as the church, Word is Truth Christian Church. And we pray for wisdom as we open your word and, and delve into your uh, the details of, of what you have for us today in Romans 10, 11. We thank you so much for grace, that salvation is free and anyone can have it. Anyone who believes in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So, as I said, we're in Romans 10, 11, 10, 11 today. Uh, I started to bite off 10, 11, and 12, but I figured, well, we could go kind of long and who knows. We'll see if we can tackle just one verse. <laughs> if we if we got a few notes, not too much, but let's see what we can do. Again, our uh, we can also be found on the web, which is wordistruth.com. Uh, you can go there and find many resources, uh, whatever you want to know about our church. You know, sometimes when you're uh, looking at ministries or trying to check out ministries. It's good to go to their website, if they have a website, so you can see what they're all about, what the ministry stands for, what is the foundation of the ministry. Well, we hope that when people come to our website that they can find those things there, what we are all about. I think it's important for us to have that information out there. It is, and uh, we're proud of it. So please stop by, take a look, see what the Lord has done and Word is Truth Christian Church. Also, as I said, we are focused on Romans 10-11. We'll have a Q&A session after we go through some of the particulars of this scripture, Romans 10-11. You should have some notes. So in your notes, it's just a short phrase. As the scripture says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. After all the failures, disobedience, and stubbornness of Israel, their salvation was as near to them as a grace decision. Having resisted for so long, they developed a habit of fighting God's way of grace through faith. The law was something tangible something they could feel. They could compare themselves with others and feel they achieved God's standards. But it is written, for whosoever, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. That's James 2.10. Well, a statement like that should force us to confess our guilt and the impossibility 
of keeping the law as a way of salvation. The same spirit of law-keeping for righteousness and justification exists today. However, the spirit of truth is also here, seeking to turn the hearts of unregenerate men to Christ by faith. Let us work with the spirit to bring the gospel to all who need to hear it. Quote, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's 1 Peter 3.15. So we have this one phrase, which is the whole of verse 11. So I'd like to go through uh, just a few points here and then... We'll take some time for some Q&A afterwards. So the first point is, uh, so the apostle goes back to the Old Testament to illustrate further. And some of the scriptures that he gives, now very much what he has done in the past, he does this time. I'm just going to read these scriptures to get a flavor of what is uh being said and understood. So the first scripture we have is Isaiah 28, 16. And uh, let's look at that really quick. You should remember this scripture because Paul also sent us back here for the tongues passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 21 and 22. So Isaiah 28 is our scripture. We're going to look at verse 16. This is where, there it is. It says, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. So Notice, stricken with panic or shame, which is where Paul is getting this whole point from. But notice, this is really not necessarily the context uh, that we are in Romans. So uh, this context is more of destruction, Israel escaping destruction, and God is leveling. So for instance, let's go back to verse 14. Why not? Just so we can get the full context. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast, we have entered into a covenant with death and with the realm of the dead. We have made an agreement. We ha when an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us. For we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now that, that's Israel being smug. Hey, nobody can touch us. We're good. Well, God has made all these promises to us. And, and if, it, if there is an overwhelming scourge or something that comes, it will not touch us. This is Israel being smug about it. But, but God says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. Now, when he says a tested cornerstone, a, a stone in Zion, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ coming to Israel. And as we know what happened, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So 
But if you don't have a sure foundation, what will happen? You will be swept away by the overwhelming scourge. And that's, that's how, this is the context, right? But the one who relies on him or trusts in him will never be stricken with panic. They won't have to worry. And then verse 17 continues, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. So this is what will happen. The righteous, uh, righteousness and the plumb line, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the standard of righteousness. Anybody who does not have the standard of righteousness of Jesus Christ will be swept away. And whatever they thought they had, the lie, water will overflow your hiding place. Verse 28, 18, your covenant with death will be annulled. In other words, you think you're getting away, but you're not. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. And this is where this happens, actually. Luke 21, 24, where Jesus talks about the, the destruction decreed on the whole land. It happens as a result of them rejecting Christ. So back to our notes. That was Isaiah 28, 16. This is partly where Paul is getting the scripture, but he is taking it to a different understanding. But I wanted you to see the context of it in Isaiah uh, 45, 16, and 17. Let's look at this one. This is also related. Isaiah 45, 16, and 17. It says, All the, ma the makers of idols will be put to shame and disgraced. They will go off into disgrace together. But Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced to ages everlasting. So again, this is more in keeping with the context, but it is not so much about eternal salvation, which Paul is discussing in Romans chapter 10. But what he's saying here in this verse is about physical deliverance. Israel will be delivered. And this is through the tribulation. Everybody who was against them will be put to shame. So, and then there's um, 4923. And uh, 49, 23 kings will be your foster fathers. I hope I got the right one. And their queens, your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. <laughs> this is probably not the right one. Did I get that right? Forty-nine, twenty-three. I must have got the wrong one. But anyway, we're going to do a little exercise later. But I think the idea you have from those two verses. So point B, let's move forward. So as the scripture says, anyone. So now we're going to see it unfold on how the apostle actually uses it. The apostle modifies the passages to help us understand that this gospel is not only to Israel but to anyone. And we get this from verse 12. If you look at verse 12, is Jew and Gentile, because in verse 12 it says simply, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, 
The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And we'll talk more about that next week. But that, that also helps us understand what does he mean by anyone. He's not just talking about Israel calling on the Lord or Israel trusting in the Lord for their deliverance. Um, so he's talking about Israel believing the gospel and not being put to shame. We'll talk about what it means to put to shame, be put to shame later. But notice Paul is using whatever analogy he can, even if he's borrowing words from somewhere else to make out a metaphor for what he's trying to tell Israel in language that they understand, in language that they can understand. It makes sense to them. That's why we would want to make sure that we understood it that way. Okay, so... Back to our notes then. So point C, ironically, the Israel should have been giving the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is the point, which is ironic in my head. They're the ones who were God's priest nation and should have been giving the gospel to the Gentile nations. And now Paul is giving it to them. So this is Romans 11, 13 and 14. Let's look at that quickly. Romans 11, 13 and 14. 13, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Now, so notice Paul is saying this and notice the reversal of things because Israel was supposed to be God's priest nation to the world to deliver the gospel. And it turns as it, as it is and it turns around and God is, has this new dispensation where Israel is set aside now. Israel is on pause and God is dealing with the church. He is bringing those many sons in the glories, calling them out in this particular age. So what's happening with Israel? Israel could have been part of this. However, Israel was unbelieving. And as a nation, they rejected Christ. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. So God is saying he's still reaching out to Israel. Imagine that, as stubborn as they were, as recalcitrant and... Uh, repugnant that they were. They spurned God at every chance they could, and yet God is still reaching his hand of mercy and grace out to them. And we have to know that we serve a mighty God, a good God. If Israel did all they did and God does not just wash their hands and his hands and say, forget you, I'm not ever going to uh, give anything, any grace to you or fulfill any covenants to you. And you know, there are some theologies out there that have basically spoken for God and said, no, Israel is gone. There is no more Israel. God does not have a plan for Israel anymore. But yet when we see that this, you know, what the scriptures have, have to say, God does. He continues to have a plan for Israel. So when we get to Romans 11, you're going to see some irony there of how Israel's not 
in the place they were in as God's uh, professed people on the earth. But now we have the church. And just because the church is God's professed people on the earth, if, we don't, if we're not faithful, God can, if you look in Revelations, Revelation 1 through Revelation chapter 3, you see with the seven churches, God is saying, I, I can remove your lampstand as a church. You're supposed to represent me. If you're not properly representing me, I can remove your lampstand. So in any case, you have Romans 11, which is very telling as we get to this chapter is going to be interesting. So that was point C. Anyone, uh, or ironically, Israel should have been the ones giving the gospel to the Gentiles. And now Paul is giving it to them. They're the ones. And Paul says that I might save some of them. Point D, believe in him. This is anyone who believes in him. Jesus is the Christ. He came, demonstrated it, died and rose again. He is the Messiah, the only hope of salvation. This is where we get that famous verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, where it talks about there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name we know is Jesus Christ. He is the focal point. He is the very heart of our salvation. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's what the scripture has talked about when it comes to giving the gospel. If you don't know that Jesus Christ is the, the one who died, who died under Pontius Pilate, and all this, the scriptures have focused all the attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Israel, there's no excuse now. You can't just say, I'm believing in Christ when Christ came and demonstrated that he was the Christ and died on the cross for our sins. You can't say you're still waiting for the the Christ to come because he's already come. But yet there's a lot of people in this position who are still waiting for Jesus Christ to come. He's the only name where salvation can be found. Point E, where it says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. What does it mean to be put to shame? The Jews were the ones persecuting the church. So when we think about this, that's a shame (laughs) for, for the Jews. They're the ones who are the enemies of God at this point and are persecuting the church. In fact, when God met Paul on the road to Damascus, the first thing he says to him was, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, so that's a shame. In fact, Paul recognized this later after he became an apostle. He says he wasn't even worthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church. In fact, he felt shame in the fact that he was on that side against Christ. So what do we have? So putting the shame is really about the enemies of God and what's going to happen to them later. It will never happen to a believer because they are on the right side of God. So let's look at a couple scriptures, Romans eleven twenty-eight. This is some irony here when we think about it because 
Um, here it is, Romans 11. We're already in Romans 11. As far as the gospel is concerned, they, and that they there is Israel, are enemies for your sake. Now get that. They are enemies for your sake. But as far as the election, as election is concerned, in other words, the calling, they were chosen, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So in, in this case, God is saying, I still have a plan for national Israel. Yes, they have fallen. Yes, they are not a people right now in terms of believers. They're not in the role that I called them to be in. However, they will be after the church. I am done calling out those many sons in the glory. But he goes on, just as you were at one time disobedient to God and have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. So this is irony, this is what I call it, but God is using that to help perhaps uh, spur Israel to jealousy perhaps, as we saw earlier. So that's one scripture, but then there's what will be the shame of it all is because there's a way the Jews persecuted the church. They thought that people who were uh, following the way were heretics, traitors, and they put pressure on them to try to uh, recant and to, uh, they, they thought they were dishonoring the law of Moses and all of this. So John 9, 21 and 22 is a good example. <clears throat> Let's look at that one. John 9, 21 and 22. It says, uh-oh, 9, 21. It says, but how can we, how, but, but how can he see now? And this is about the blind man <laughs> who was brought before them. Remember, he was healed and uh, he was brought before the Pharisees and and they said, they didn't want to declare this was a miracle that Christ did, so they they questioned him, right? I'll just back up to, to 20. We know he is our son. They brought his, first they questioned the blind man who was blind. He was not blind anymore. And he told them, I was blind and now I see. You know, what's the problem? So then they said, well, let's question his parents. The parents answered in verse 20. And we know he, is bo- he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we do not know. We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now, verse 22 said, says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. For, who, for anyone, any already, for, uh, who already had decided that, I can't read today, who already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that would be shame. To be put out of the synagogue would be a shameful thing. It would be being disfellowshipped from your society. You could, you wouldn't, your friends would shun you. <coughs> you could, um, 
lose your job, you lose your social standing, you become a pariah in this society. It was shameful. So this was part of it that was calling, uh, pressure, putting pressure on the Jews uh, that if they believed in Christ, that they would be put to shame. And that's the shame that the Jews were fearing. And if you look at um, Hebrews 10, 32 to 34, and I think we just covered this uh, verse and we saw some of these verses, so it should be a reminder for us. Hebrews 10, 32 through 34, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So notice, these people, were the screws were being turned on them to try to get them to conform to the Mosaic law, right? To go back to the temple services. And these people rejected that because um, they believed in Christ. They understood the truth of the matter. And yet the pressure was being put on. What pressure and leverage did they have? It was because they could do all these things. They could ostracize them. They could persecute them, put them in jail, confiscate their property, all this stuff. It would be putting them literally to shame. So that's why in these verses, it says, this is how Paul is actually using it. He's talking about anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. But what he's saying in terms of being put to shame is that you will not experience the recriminations and the results of what Israel would do to, to you. Israel, just remember, is the enemy of God. And whatever they do, uh, you don't have to worry about because you will be saved. You will have eternal life. And that is the right side to be on, no matter what the world says. So, and that, that's point F. Believing in Christ puts you on God's side of the struggle. If you go to Philippians 1, 27 through 29 for that, I'll just note that, stand by. Philippians 1, 27 through 29, stand by. Philippians 1, here we go. And we've read this one before too. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner of the, worthy of the gospel of Christ, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way. Frightened, what are they worried about? There's a fear of those who oppose them, right? This is about the, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So that is also some indication of what it means 
that there was a pressure on the Jews uh, to, to not believe in Christ because of shame. It wasn't just as equal as, you know, you go and somebody gives you the gospel and you're a Gentile, that's your foundation. And people think, well, I can believe in Christ if I want. There's no, no problem. I'm not going to lose my job. Um, in fact, people might clap and say, yeah, great that you believe in Christ. Yeah, no problem. But for the Jews, it was a matter of shame. It's just, it was different for them. Their whole culture, uh, because of the distortions that they had developed over the years, the resistance of the Holy Spirit, uh, caused them to hate the grace of God, caused them to resist and fight God's way. And that's, that's what eventually happened. If you go to Acts chapter 15 and you see the Jerusalem council and you see where there were Jews were literally saying, listen, we, we can accept the Gentiles. However, the Gentiles will have to convert to Judaism. Not only will they have to be circumcised, if they want to be in the same body as us, they will have to be circumcised and they will have to keep the entire Mosaic law. That's Acts chapter 15, one through five. I mean, literally, that, that's pressure put on. And this was the church now. They were discussing these things at the church council in Jerusalem. So obviously what prevailed was the grace of God, and no, we're not under the Mosaic law. That prevailed. But the fact that there were those in the body who were persisting to try to change the way that uh, the orientation that we have, which is grace, and put people under the Mosaic law, it was not to happen. God, we stand here today as testimony of that. Point G Point G in our notes, the Jews could have taken their place in the battle by simply believing the gospel. That's how easy it was. I mean, it's not just Paul trying to convince them. It's the spirit of truth as well. And they're resisting the spirit. So I would bet through their efforts of the spirit of truth, through the efforts of the spirit of truth and through the apostle Paul, some did, right? They did, I'm sure as we have the testimony of Romans 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, all those chapters, 10, 11, all dealing with Israel. I'm sure some Jews did come to believe. And just like it says, that some might be saved. I would bet that that did work. I can't give you evidence of it, other than the note, to note that some Jews did believe. There are some scriptures that talk about this. But go to Colossians 1, 13 and 14 for this. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son, of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So literally, we, are, we have been rescued. And if we're not saved, we are, where are we? We are in the dominion of darkness. And, you know, literally, if you want to talk about being ashamed, that's what you should be ashamed of, that you're in the dominion of darkness. But you've been rescued. And I, I would bet that God is, you know, even in these scriptures, and Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, but 
But boy, does he give a clear delineation of the gospel to the Jews as well. So I bet some of them got saved, as well as many Gentiles. I could say I'm, I'm a Gentile who got saved. Point H, from a quick search of the word shame. So if you want to look at this a little more in the Old Testament, you'll see that shame is always associated with the enemies of God and those who attack Israel and worship of idols. Those are the ones that God eventually will be put, they will be put to shame. So it will, right now, Israel is the one that is being shamed by the world because they're different, because they're unique. They have different principles in the way they eat and the way they conduct themselves and their feast days and holy days. All of that's different. And the world hates them as a result. Uh, Well, you know, what we find is the world is trying to shame Israel. So what you could do is, if you have a concordance and you have Esau, just take, do a search on shame and just look, look at some of the scriptures in the Old Testament. There's just too many of them, but just look at how many scriptures in the Old Testament there are about shame and see what the flavor of them are. Uh, I can just do a quick search right now. What time is it? We have time. So I'm just gonna do shame. And I'll tell you quickly, it occurs, 122 verses are found with the word shame in it. Some Sometimes it's two times in one verse. But 120, but just, If you would, just take a look at some of the ones that you find and you will see some of the flavor. Your enemies will be clothed, um, this is Job 8.22, your enemies will be clothed in shame and the tents of the wicked will be no more. Psalm 22.5, to you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. I trust in you and do not let them be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Here's two times it's in the same verse. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Um, I'm skipping ahead to a lot in the Psalms. Oh, so many times. The right, here's the Proverbs. The righteous will hate what is false, but the wicked will make themselves a stench and bring shame on themselves. The wicked, right? Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. It goes on and on. I'm not going to keep going. And there was just too much. So this will be something, if you really want to get more to the bottom of this, will never be brought to shame. And Paul's understanding of it and how he's taken that and used that now to say that Israel will not be put to shame if they believe in Christ. (coughs) That is their deliverance, in fact. Deliverance from shame. So he came to his own and his own did not receive him. That's shameful. And those who believe in Christ, well, he gave the right to become children of God. (coughs) Children uh, born of God. So let's let's continue. We're almost done here. That quick search in shame, hopefully you have the concordance. If you don't know how to do that, then see me after. We can talk about it. 
And point I is the last point, and then we'll have some, some good time for some Q&A. So no one, Jew or Gentile, will be put to shame. And when we say so, it's not even related to Israel anymore from that context. It is Paul speaking from the standpoint of the church, but using that information. And how do we know Jew or Gentile? It's because in the next verse he says he's talking about Jew or Gentile. So it's not just Israel here. So no one, Jew or Gentile, will be put to shame, but they will have eternal life, will cross over from death to life. There will be no condemnation, will be justified forever, will be born again by the Spirit, will be saved and baptized into the body of Christ and take their place as the new creation of God. So how can any of that be shamed? And why should any Jewish person ever feel pressure from the world or from national Israel to refuse Jesus Christ as the only savior, the only hope in the world? Why should that ever be? So this is Paul's point, and he is literally appealing to them on every level, even the level where the Jews were putting pressure on those who uh, had the heritage of Israel and putting the pressure on them to say, do not believe in Jesus Christ by grace through faith alone. And this is the message that Paul is bringing now. He's trying to tell Israel, you should have done it when you were Israel, when, when it was the dispensation that Israel was uh, prominent, where God was calling Israel forward. But no, they didn't. They failed. They were disobedient. But just know, even though we talk about Israel in such negative terms, just know that they will succeed. They will. In the tribulation, Israel will be that beacon on the hill, that the apple of God's eye. They will eventually overcome, and they will be faithful to God. They will resist the beast and the false prophet. They will survive. The 144,000 will remain alive on the earth until Christ comes back in the millennium. So uh, this concludes the notes I have, but I'm sure there's a lot more that could be said about this verse. It is a salvation verse. And Paul is telling us anybody can have salvation. So all we have to do, as you know, is put our faith put our trust and reliance for our soul salvation on the Lord Jesus Christ. The very moment you do that, it doesn't take 10 times to do it. It just takes that one time where you put your faith in Christ and say, Lord, Father, I believe in Christ. I'm putting my trust in him for my soul salvation. I'm helpless to do anything about my condition. I'm lost. All I have to do is put my faith in Christ. And I know I will have eternal life. I'm trusting in him. He's the savior of the world. And I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've, if you've done that, if you could say that right to God the Father, and right in your heart, he knows your heart, you will be saved. So we're going to continue our service, but we are going to continue with some Q&A, some opportunity where you have um, 
few, some time for Q&A. So the floor is open. All right, excellent. Um, I went back over um, Isaiah 49.23, and yes. I think you had the right verse, um, but the wrong translation. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that right? NIV, NIV, yeah, NIV uses the word disappointed, um, but ESV um, says uh, shame. So the um, very last phrase of 49.23 is those who wait for me shall not be put to shame in the ESV. In the NIV, it says those who wait for me shall not be disappointed. Yes. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. That's right. So that, I was right. I didn't screw it up again. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it is 49.23. Thank you. And, and you know what? I do flip around from different versions sometimes. Um, it is to my detriment that, well, I shouldn't say detriment, but when I grew no. up, but when I grew up, I grew up on the King James Bible. So a lot of times what's in my head when I think about scriptures is the way the King James says it. So sometimes when I'm looking for scriptures, I have to go to the King James and other versions to search for the words because NIV may say it different. So, uh, but that's uh, little foibles that I have to deal with, but uh, not to worry. But thank you, Dwight, for, and Dwight's been saving me a couple times here, more than tonight. So, you, you know, hopefully, uh, sometimes you might have to correct your notes, right? And if you're keeping notes, so that it doesn't confuse you in the future. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, not a big deal. In most cases, it's, it's just a typo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's transposition. And when you're writing a lot, that happens. It, it, listen, it, people, <laughs> Bible writers who copied the Bible had, they had errors sometimes, copious errors, but they were easily, easily uh, definable. We could see them. So we, we pointed it out. So it's not something that the word of God is corrupted or something. Thank, thanks. Other thoughts out there? Hopefully um, we don't run into too much of that here. <laughs> and I'll try to do my best to keep those clear of that. Other thoughts out there? This is our Q&A period. If you want to talk about whatever's on your mind or the lesson that was, is before us. Um, I do have a question related to what we were just discussing here. Sure. Um, we were talking a lot about shame and and looking at shame in the concordance and all that stuff. Um, what is the time frame that we're dealing with? When I think of somebody who is put to shame, I think of somebody who is punished um, publicly, and it's you know so it's not only the punishment itself, but it's it's being put to shame in the presence of others as well. So are we talking, you know, that this is happening concurrently at the time that's being said, or are we talking about a, a future time in the great white throne judgment? Well, um, I think, yeah, you could think about the great white throne judgment when people will present their works and uh, they will be rejected and thrown into the lake of fire. 
But this shame that Paul is dealing with, he's reaching out to Israel. So just like in 10.1, he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel is that they may be saved. And then he goes into why they reject salvation. But he doesn't deal with this point, which is the point of shame. And this, this point is, I'm, I'm glad you asked this question because I want this to be really clear. That the shame is associated with Jewish culture. Uh, so, for instance, even now, if you go into a Jewish home and you start talking about Jesus Christ, it's going to be a problem. It's, it, they have been taught and, and reinforced in their culture to reject Jesus Christ. If, and they don't even really know why. I mean, they may have had some things from their rabbi, or I'm sure they must have something, but Christ fulfilled all of the prophecies to a T. In fact, if you read Isaiah 53, that's all you got to do is just read Isaiah 53. And there's, there's, some have gathered over 700 prophecies. I got a book at home that details 700 prophecies that speak of the, the Lord Jesus Christ and how they were fulfilled in the New Testament from the Old but Isaiah 53 is very telling about who Christ is and what he would do and what God the Father did, judged our sins in him and so forth. So the Jews, though, had a culture of resisting the Holy Spirit. That culture developed a habit, a pattern of resistance and fighting within them. And so if anybody veered from that, they will be brought to shame. So even that period in the Gospels where the blind man got healed and, and uh, they were equivocating about how it happened and the Pharisees were questioning them very closely because they were trying. And, and it, it tells, John says, well, they didn't want to say because for fear that they will be put out of the synagogue, which is not just, well, you can't go to this church, you can go to the one in the corner, but this one you can't go to anymore. It's not like that for the Jews. It was a society built on the synagogue. So it was a shame. It was a matter of shame. And you could be put out of the synagogue as a discipline. Let's say that you were caught doing something. You might just be put out of the synagogue for a period of time and then let back in. But then if you were completely put out of the synagogue. That was really bad. So anyway, you could read about that in the commentaries. And, um, well, Doug? Yeah. So when, when Paul is using that in his contemporary um, context, he's, he's referring to that level of shame. Yes. Correct? Yes. That's the point. That is the point that I wanted to make sure we understood is that he is yeah, taking those Old Testament? <laughs> yeah, he is taking those Old Testament passages, but he is modifying them to a meaning that we have that applies to the Jews today. And so, just like he did in in Romans nine and another passage passages, he is he is taking the words from the Old Testament, whether it be to their physical. Um, staying in the land alive and all that to he's modified them to understand how it's easy to receive salvation they could have received the law 
And now he says, now take that and just like that, you can receive salvation. It's just that simple, right? So now he's saying he realizes that there is shame associated with those who believe in Christ, who are Jewish. So he's addressing that matter by saying anyone, anyone, but of course it's Jew or Gentile, but it doesn't matter. Anyone who believes in Christ will never be put to shame. Why? Because the very thing that the Jews wanted anyway, which is justification, they will have it by believing in Christ. He is, in fact, the Messiah. So Paul, just seeing how he navigates using the Old Testament scriptures. But notice, even the gospel, uh, the issues that were there were being addressed by Paul. And if you go back to Romans 9, you even see more issues that were addressed, that were pertinent. For instance, Israel had called out God and said, God, it's unfair that you chose the church. Paul said, that's dangerous. Don't do that. Because God can... He can do what he wants. He's, he, he's sovereign. What do you think? You know the plan of God? And he dealt with all of that. But then at the end, he, taught, he, started, he brought Hosea in. And he showed how God had to destroy Israel. But he saved the remnant. If you remember the lesson, he saved the remnant. So what is he saying? He's saying that, believe me, he can destroy you just like he did in the past. Don't play with God when it comes to this. This is his business, and he will fulfill his will in the earth. And he destroyed Israel and left the remnant. That remnant migrated to Judah. If you remember the lesson of Hosea, how God told Hosea, go marry this woman, Gomer, and so forth. Anyway, but yeah, so Paul is using his vast knowledge of the Old Testament, which is, um, he was a Pharisee, which means he knew the Old Testament very well. But he's using, God is, the spirit, the spirit of truth is using that knowledge to draw upon so that he can reach these people. And so that is more so. But thanks for bringing that point out. That is an excellent point I wanted to make sure is understood. And at, at the same time, it doesn't necessarily imply that a um, that the same thing would happen in a church in, in assemblies of, of Christians getting together. So yes, the churches and stuff to um, watch out for false teachers um, and not to let them infiltrate the church. Um, but if a, a Jewish person is going to be um, cut away from the church if they're, you know, if they're coming in there to learn, they'll be welcome. Absolutely. Everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think so as well. But um, the closest I can think to a Gentile experiencing uh, this type of shame, well, first, it's, since it's not the context, but we're, we're stretching it to can it fit to a Gentile? And it would be... Um, let's say, like a Muslim family. And um, they are taught as well, hey, don't, don't be convert to Christianity. If you do, you know, you'll be um, shunned in this family. You won't be welcome and so forth. And that has happened. I've heard many stories 
of staunch uh, Islamic families who have uh, shunned their children and relatives as a result of them converting to Christianity. They have basically, the reason they do that is to try to shame them and, you know, so that they come back to their, their faith. But uh, the Jews, it's, it's unique because of the fact that God did work in Israel. He did have a covenant with them, which, and, and the difference is he did not with the Islamic world at all. I will pause. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks. Other thoughts out there? Thank you, Dwight, for that. Quiet tonight. Okay, so we don't we don't have to extract thoughts, but maybe we'll let you guys think about it. This is uh, hopefully we'll but we'll get into the next verse next week which is 10.12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we'll get to this next week. Um, closing thoughts before we close. Father, thank you so much for this time we've had this evening. We are blessed to know that you have provided in grace the Lord Jesus Christ, his work, his death, his burial, resurrection, his righteousness, all by, by, by way of grace. We thank you for that word, grace, speaks of how we can receive salvation. And the only way to receive a grace salvation is by faith. And we thank you for the way you have designed this salvation. It excludes our works, it excludes our arrogance, our pride. Uh, we realize that there is nothing we can do, that we must humbly accept the gift that is before us. So we thank you for this. We thank you for those who have come and uh, assembled themselves in order to hear your word. And we thank you that this word is very clear in the scripture and, and we know who our Lord is. And we, not only do we have the scripture, but we have the spirit of truth who tells us how to, to understand what the scripture has told us. So we pray that you continue to work in this church and in each and every heart and bring us back next week as we continue our journey in Romans chapter 10. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.